But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> I don't understand. Oh, that's right. We talked about this. You, the reason you have a white square instead of the default icon is that you tried to Im- upload a headshot and and you blew it. You you broke it. I guess so, yeah. Uh, I tried to load a headshot that I happened to have in here about the right size and everything. Yeah. But it didn't happen. Is, is, is yours, like Jeb's, is yours a picture of you when you were like 19 years old? No. Uh, mine's a picture of me from like two years ago, three years ago. Okay, that was mostly in order to get Jeb, but he's, he's just sitting there grinding his teeth. I I have no constructive comment. Um, I don't know when, I don't remember the picture. Hey, um, you are a tad younger in this picture, but... Uh, um, let see if I can... Okay, that's only 99. Only only 99 is almost 20 years ago. That's 14 years. That's, that's Round it down, it's 10 years. Okay. Yeah, Obviously, convent- I'm using, rounding you, things up, I guess. Using huh? using conventional rounding techniques, it would be only ten, one decade. Uh, it's if, it, but only if, for example, if you round to the nearest 20, uh, then... But we're not rounding to the nearest 20. We're rounding, we're rounding the, the, the singles digits, the, the ones digit. I can set whatever criteria of, uh, of accuracy <laughs> I choose, right, you know? But okay, where was that taken? Uh, at an airport. Good. I have in, no which, I, in, in what country? I'm supposed to be able to know that from the picture. No. You seem to be in some sort of aircraft, like a Cirrus or a Diamond, or a with with a, a bubble, bubble canopy that latches upward. I didn't know the Cirrus has had bubble canopies. I'm sorry, not up. a Cirrus. What am I thinking of? A uh, I don't know what I'm thinking of, but anyways. An RV, uh, a uh, Zodiac. Uh, yeah, a, like that. It's a tiger. It's a, it's a diamond DA-20. I'm in London, Ontario. Oh, the 20. I love that little airplane. Yeah. Boy, it got it had more get up and go on 80 horsepower than anything I've ever, ever ever flown in that size. I I I would tend to agree with that. It was it was um, the, those early ones were nice little airplanes. And, oh, so you know, the, I'm sorry. The no, DA20, no. that's the two-seater. That was also known as the Katana. Is that the That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. They made, they made several versions of it in various trim levels. There was also a, a motor glider version um that had mm-hmm. long longer wings and a tail wheel and there were tail wheel versions too. Yeah. Uh, and was this the Rotax version or was this after they re-engined them? Or, I, I thought the best ones were the Rotax versions. But. Yeah, I, I don't recall. This was probably an O200 or a, a O2. I don't think they put the light coming in though. So, yeah, I guess it was an O200. Yeah. My flying yeah. club got two of them back when – this was when I was in Palo Alto, obviously. And mm-hmm. – uh, and we got two of them really early on when they first came out, in the, at least on the U.S. market. I don't know what the how it was worldwide. But anyways, we got two of them. I was really looking forward to flying it, and then I never got a chance to fly it. And, and they didn't stay on our line very long because our maintenance department was just completely flummoxed by the Rotax engines. Hmm. And uh, and maybe I'm overstating that, but they, they were not – the people who were doing our maintenance didn't like them, and that's why they, they just had issues with them. Yeah, yeah. Um I can see that, and and you know, 
this this takes us back to an episode or two ago when we were talking about the Skycatcher, uh, and the reason one of the reasons uh, anyway that uh, Cessna decided to put an O two hundred. Uh, the O two hundred F for whatever it was mm-hmm. in, in the Skycatcher versus a Rotax um, was one because I have a much more cynical view than be, I think because, you're getting at here because of uh, the unfamiliarity of the Rotax in the majority of the schools to which the Skycatcher was being marketed. That's that's one of the reasons. That's according so, to Cessna's worldview, according know. to Cessna's worldview, and I think according to contemporary. Um, um, thought at the time, uh, David. Any any comment? We've started, by the way. Good. Oh, t- surprise, surprise. Well, I, I think Jeb, you know, pretty much hit it. Uh, and I don't think that I don't think the bloody thing ever really got a toehold uh, to where it would become the move up airplane that Cessna had always uh, built its customer base on. You know, you, they get you in a Skyhawk, you're going to get a, a, a Skylane, you're going right. to get a right. 310, you're going to, uh, you know, eventually you'll be flying, uh, they, they, at least they hope they'll treat you that way, uh, a citation of some kind or another. Right. Wait a minute, you're uh, talking about the Skycatcher never got a toehold. Well, the, yeah, it never got a toehold, and I'll come back to this again and again I, it, and, until I'm blue in the face. Yeah, what's that? But they they botched the choices on that program at every turn. Yes, I couldn't agree more. At and I don't even know turn. it nearly as well as you do. Go ahead. Give me a couple of examples of how they botched it. Okay. Uh, you're, you're, you're trying to create an airplane that's going to be the introductory model to your whole line for a whole new line of customers. Mm-hmm. And the customer base that you survey overwhelmingly favors having the Rotax 100 horse in the airplane. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, if you talk to some of those folks I did a few years ago. Uh, the institutional customers, that's the Cessna right. Pilot Centers and the the, the, uh, the dealers, they overwhelmingly want the Continental or, in second place, the Lycoming, the O235, because that's what they're set up to work on. They're familiar with it. It's a low-cost entry into it. Now, they're only going to have the airplane long enough to put it into flight instruction, depreciate it a year or two, and hopefully sell it to one of those students. But do they consider what the end user wants what, and, and why? Like lower fuel burn, better useful load, uh, and, and equal maintenance cost in the long term. Uh, no, no, no. You go with the guys that are only going to push them through and saddle your end users with a, a fuel burn a, about two gallons an hour higher forever, and that's a cruise, let alone full full board takeoffs and landing. Uh, you saddle them with about a forty pound deficit in in useful load. Uh, you don't really save them anything in maintenance, uh, and you lock them into a fuel system, uh, a fuel that the other engine doesn't lock you into. It gives you the option of using high octane auto fuel right. or yeah, no, hundred low lead. So there's three strikes right there. Yeah. Then the next thing down the pipe, they're being wooed by Mexico. They're being wooed by several communities here in the United States. But they've got this long-term vision for a relationship in China. So what better way to start building that relationship than to give them this little inconsequential sort of airplane project to build, something simple they can cut their teeth on. They put 
a couple of bodies in China to oversee the whole thing, but between the cultural differences and language differences uh, and the differences in how they manage their people, uh, the early airplanes need a lot of work. Then there's some changes that come over here. They got this cockamamie system. They're going to do three delivery centers, one in each region. That's to spread some right. of the work out among the dealers. Uh, complicates shipping cost and and, and uh even more. So that affects the markup for the dealer unless they flat rate it to everybody and then somebody's getting cheated. It just they never seem to really get their brain around it, the people that were making these decisions, that you can't do all that kind of stuff. Stir up all the controversy, make it second best to everything else and then say, Oh, but it's a Cessna. But it's a Cessna, right, yeah. Well, did, now, uh, and I'm going to do a little segue here, but first of all, let me ask you, David, did you, we gave you a homework assignment. Um, did you ever go over there and peek through the window to see whether or not they're still assembling skycatchers in that hangar? They're still set up for it. They are. Was yeah. there, was there activity? Were you there during business hours or? You... Uh, I was there on a weekend yeah, okay. and there was nothing going on in there. I didn't see an airplane. I saw airplanes in there, but it didn't look like they were in a uh, assembly right. phase. So. Cessna is owned by Textron, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And and they seem to have their finger in a lot of pies these days. All right, uh, we were we were joking around, although we kind of liked the the fighter trainer that uh, that they have been working on, and they test flew recently. And and uh, but we were kind of joking around about you know what that what was all about. And and there seems to be a the buzz is that they're not going to take that aircraft to completion anyway. So is that what you heard? You know what I'm talking about? You're talking about the uh, the, uh, the the new composite. Yeah, right. Uh, it's got a nickname. What's it called? It's, it's supposed it's a, to be a, the Scorpion. Scorpion. I think that's what it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they're working on that. Um, they uh, they. And if if you're if if you're a frog, you don't want to give him a ride across the pond. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and so now I'm trying to come up with some snarky way of, of uh, segueing into this. And uh, but uh, uh, one bit of news over the last, I guess, in the last week, uh, maybe even the last few days, is the is the rumor because it's not been confirmed, but the rumor that Textron, which is which I'd like to say Cessna, but it's really Textron, is is fixing to buy Beechcraft. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the second time that a sale of Beechcraft has been reported since it came out of bankruptcy, just a, almost a year ago now. Right. Uh, and nothing really came of the first one. Nobody, I think, was ever hardcore identified with this. Now comes uh, the Financial Times, uh, which is a big business newspaper. Uh, they uh, they repeat the Beechcraft is sold or being sold, uh, and they identify a buyer as Textron. But that's the only place, and that's the only attribution that we've seen. Right. Now, yeah. Jeb, I mean, you, every place I've seen it published all runs it back to the Financial right. Times, which means it's still a rumor. Right. Now, what does Beechcraft, Beechcraft consist of these days? Because when I think of Beechcraft, I think of debonairs and bonanzas, right? But there must be more to it than that, right? Well, the King, Air, the King Airline is, is a big, big deal. Um, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's safe to say that um, um, a majority, um, perhaps a vast majority, of the uh, uh, new business turboprops sold in the world are Beechcraft King Airs. Really? I didn't know that. Um, well, 
um, let me ask you, let me ask the question this way. How many other turboprop manufacturers are there out there right now? Twin turboprop. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to okay. that. David, are there yeah. any? Uh, there's a couple, but they're not, uh, you know, significant players. Piaggio right. with the Avante. Right. So, Jeb, you're, you're obviously pretty tuned in to the uh, Beechcraft community. Is there any buzz in the Beechcraft community about, about this rumor? Well, there is, and there's plenty of it. I'm looking at the beachtalk.com website, which is uh, uh, kind of the, the gathering hole, the watering hole, if you will, the water, water cooler uh, for, for Beechcraft owners. It's all just rumor and speculation right. at this point. But my real curiosity is, does, does, do the beach owners like this idea? Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, as, as I you know, posted here on our, our little internal list, I don't think anyone's really looking forward to a Lycoming-powered bonanza. Okay. Lycoming, you uh, think that's going to happen? I don't know. Textron, of course, owns Lycoming as well as they do Cessna. Okay. That's a Textron um, company. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so that's certainly a, a head-scratcher. Um, but it's, it's really a crapshoot. I mean, on one hand, you know, a lot of people rejoiced, were happy, whatever, the, whatever uh, uh, accolades you want to apply to it or whatever description you want to apply to it. When um, Beechcraft came out of bankruptcy and, and divested the Hawker line, um, that b- bodes well for the continuation of the Beechcraft mark. It certainly can, bodes well for continuation of parts availability and all these other good things that come, comes with uh, uh, ongoing production of, uh, of these, of these uh, Beechcraft models. Um, there also was talk uh, when, when Beechcraft came out of bankruptcy of new models to mm-hmm. come out. Um, perhaps a, um, uh, an all-composite or mostly composite uh, single-engine turboprop to compete with the PC-12 and the, and the uh, TBM-700 and 850. Um, no one, of course, has, has really seen a whole lot uh, uh, come out of Beechcraft on those points. I think for, for Beechcraft, uh, um, they've been concentrating on just trying to get their ducks in a row and, and make sure that they can continue with their core businesses. Um, the, the divestiture of Hawker leaves Beechcraft with um, the piston line, which is basically the uh, uh, the, the G thirty six, I should say, and the G fifty eight Baron, G thirty six Bonanza, G thirty G fifty eight Baron, as well as the King Airline, which is a fairly substantial uh, piece of business, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Um, so you know what what happens with all of that is anyone's guess. On one level, yes, we, we could be looking at renewed longevity, although the Beechcraft's longevity wasn't really in question after they came out of bankruptcy. Uh, on another hand, we could be looking at um, acquisition and, and dissolution um, of at least the piston Beechcraft line um, because, hey, it's competitive against Cessna's line. The um, uh, two <laughs> two factors two factors argue against that. Mm-hmm. One, Cessna doesn't have a six seat retractable, okay, in its lineup right now. Okay, they don't have a piston twin in their lineup right now. Okay, so bringing all of of those or keeping, I should say, um, those models in production under the Beechcraft banner uh, certainly won't harm Cessna. Mm-hmm. And I don't think would harm Textron either, uh, presuming uh, um, you know all things being equal, and that they they continue to be a viable 
product and a viable uh, uh, business line right, for right. for Beechcraft as it is now. Who, who the King Air, oh, go ahead. Keep going. I was just going to say one one final thing. Uh, as I say, the King Airline is is probably the uh, the the diamond here. Is is the uh, the holy grail for someone like Textron? Um, there's uh, the King Airline clearly leads the market in business turboprops, and it ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who owns Beechcraft these days? Is it owned by public stockholders or some bigger fish? That's a very I good think, question. I think it's owned by the uh, the uh, investment firm that had put money into it before the bankruptcy wiped out all the equity in what shareholders that there were at the time. Okay. Uh, and it's, you know, pretty pretty close. It's not debt-free. You don't want to be completely debt-free. That makes getting credit kind of hard. But their debts are really tiny, manageable compared to what the what they were carrying before. Uh, as everybody here has noted, they don't build jets anymore. Uh, and certainly, I think some of the technology in that they still own in the uh, Premier One and the Hawker Horizon slash Four Thousand, well, might have some really major value to uh, to Textron, not just at Cessna. Mm-hmm. And so, my my final question, well, actually, my my next to final question is, Jeb. For some reason, I got the feeling that maybe you were asking the internet about the ownership of Beechcraft. Were you doing that? I, I'm I'm kind of sort of am, but I'm not finding anything. Okay. I'm looking no, I'm looking ask, at Beechcraft's inter, uh, Beechcraft's website, and I don't see anything. Let us know if you find anything. But uh, um, my my sort of my final question on this whole subject is something I alluded to earlier, and I, and I ask this with with respect. I truly do. I was joking around, but Cessna, which is to say Textron, seems to be kind of all over the place right now. All right, fighter trainers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are are they are they going to know how to, what to do with this? Are they going to do a good job owning something like Beechcraft? That's a real good question. That's uh, you know that's the uh, that's that's the the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one point four billion dollar question. Well, there's one one line of thinking that says, well, you know, the 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 better capital, the deeper capital resources of a conglomerate like Textron can be good in terms of helping uh, Beechcraft fund R&D and expand its product line and uh, move ahead farther and faster. There's another line of thinking that looks at what happened to Beech Aircraft under uh, Raytheon Corporation as one of the catalysts to their downhill slide over many years that led to the bankruptcy and says, you know, that's one fewer companies employing people in this town and a big one at that. So there's a little, you know, some of the city fathers are all really excited about this. It means that Beechcraft is going to be around. And it's like, why does it make it any more likely that it'll be around than it is right now? They're doing pretty damn well right now. Yeah. You know why uh, you, you know why it's doomed. You know why it will never it, it just can't be successful, right? It, it's why, why what it, can't be successful? Why why the combination of Beechcraft and and Text Cessna can't work, right? A, a, a high wing, low wing. Cats and dogs sleeping together, man. High wing, low wing. It's uh-huh. just it's uh-huh. just not compatible. It's just uh-huh. is going to be civil war within this new company. You watch. Mark my words. I guess there is one other big question here, and that is, will the feds allow such a combination to go forward? 
That's an interesting question. I, I what else is there in GA? This basically Textron will now have the have the mon- I mean, have a huge part of well, GA, right? They'll have a huge part of GA, uh, but then so will China. Uh, China has Continental, or at least parts of Continental. China has Cirrus, or at least parts of Cirrus. Uh, there's Piper. Uh, Mooney recently made some noises about trying to to come back to life. Um, that I think was also a Chinese acquisition. Um, Diamond is still out there kicking and will be around for some time. They're, but Diamond's me, not I, a U.S. company, is it? No, they're not. Okay. <clears throat> um, Austrian. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, so I guess my uh, point is, none of these are U.S. companies. This basically makes Textron, Cessna, Beechcraft, the only, the, the basically GA in America. Except for well, <clears throat> I think except for uh, Sikorsky and Piper Mall, uh, yeah. Okay. Anyways, and Rands. We will obviously be keeping an eye on this. You know, this is a Lance, big story. You know, and, yeah. yeah, we're talking about cert- certificated aircraft. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it is a big story, and it's it's one of those things that you know, and and it's not real until um, you know you get some confirmation on it. it it's not over till the fat lady sings. Yeah. So. Uh, so we'll we'll wait to hear some singing. We'll yeah, wait to hear some singing. It's, it's, All right, listen, I got to jump in here. Welcome, folks, to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you uh, from UCAP World Headquarters. In uh, it's raining now. It was like it's we had like a foot of snow less than a week ago, and now it's raining. And uh, you know, it's a good thing we don't have global warming. Good thing we don't have climate change happening here. Otherwise, we'd be in big trouble. Right. Um, Right, but yeah. uh, up here in southern New Hampshire, and I'm talking to my two good friends uh, out there in in other uh, uh, interesting weather-wise parts of America. Jeb Burnside <laughs> is uh, talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Uh, how you doing, Jeb? What's going on? I'm I'm fine. The weather down here is is uh, glorious. Uh, uh, low 80s, um, no rain. Uh, supposed to supposed to have some. Uh, a cold front come through tomorrow at some point and and be kind of nippy, but uh, uh, that's okay. Yeah. So cold front by, means by will, nippy, you mean fifty? Yeah. Right. right exactly. Well, f- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it got up to uh, sixty here. It got up to it's sixty. All relative. Yeah. It got up into the mid sixties here the other day. Okay. And I'm sitting in my office working, and I suddenly looked at the thermometer and realized that it was sixty degrees outside. And I tweeted. I said. I said. Oh my gosh, it's 60 degrees outdoors. Why the heck am I inside? All right. Mm-hmm. And a few minutes later, later, our pal Dave Schalbetter from Florida, all right, responds on Twitter by saying, because it's so darn cold. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, out there Thanks, is uh, my, my other good friend, uh, Dave Higdon, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How are you doing, David? Uh, I, I'm a lot warmer than it is outside where it's uh, 18. Ooh, okay. Uh, and Sunday night in uh, Monday morning, we got, uh, well, in my particular neighborhood, we got a little bit more than the three and a half inches recorded at the airport. Yeah. Jeb, go ahead. I'm sorry. Dave is on the back side of the cold front. I'm on the front side. Yeah, okay. So yeah. so he can, you can go to school on David's experience. <laughs> Not exactly. Not exactly. Not exactly. Small difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's been kind of fun having an all-wheel drive vehicle the last three days. Oh, uh, I bet it's been coming real handy. I bet coming you could real handy. It. Yeah. Speaking of snowstorms, so when I, like I said, it snowed. We had a big snowstorm here about a week or so ago. We heard about that. Yeah, and uh, one of the things I, I, I they did, gave it a name. 
They did give that's don't even get me started on these. Yeah, really, yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. even get me started. Um, but so, uh, so, uh, Winter Storm, what was it? Electra, I believe. All right. Winter Storm Electra passed through here on whatever day it was, Saturday or so a week ago. And, uh, they, uh, and, and I, I was sitting, you know, in my, my cozy little office, uh, working on my computer. And one of the things I do from time to time, I kind of find interesting is that while I was working, I was tuned in through liveatc.net and was listening to, uh, the various radio, fre- radio frequencies at Manchester airport. And the reason I like to listen on those circumstances is I find it interesting to listen to the tower, the ground, the aircraft, and the snow plows coordinating on the radio. I just, it's, <laughs> it's just kind of interesting to listen to the, the plows checking in and the, t- and the ground controllers talking to the plows saying, you know, you're going to need the runway clear in six minutes, you know, and things like that. It's just an interesting process. So I'm, I'm spending some time um, listening to uh, ATC and various radio frequencies at, at Manchester, and it led me to do a little research. And so I was... Uh, I was they, they they kept referring to a departure there. I was listening to clearance delivery as well, and they were talking about the Port One departure, right at, uh, at Manchester, and so I went and looked up the the Port One uh, departure at Manchester, <laughs> and the thing I found interesting that I wanted to ask you about is there and and so you guys are the IFR pilots. I'm not even. I mean, I I know basically nothing about IFR. I know the very 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 basics. You could fly at night though. Yeah, right. There are various fixes. So I'm looking at the Port One departure RNAV plate here, all right? And I've given you a link to it, and you may be right. looking at it now as well. And there are numerous – and so I was looking at it more closely, and I was trying to find out where these various fixes and, and you know, locations are. And so if you're, if you're looking at the, uh, the, the plate, if you look at the, the representation of the airport – and sort of just to the to the east northeast there is is Ramy R E Y M Y and I know Ramy because Ramy is actually right near Lookout Point. Um, I, I'm very familiar with Ramy, but mm-hmm. then then there's one called Peaport, and then mm-hmm. there's another one called Shoal or S H O E L. Shoal, yeah, Shoal. All right, and I went looking for these, uh, and first I went looking for them on the sectional, and I couldn't mm-hmm. find them on the sectional, mm-hmm. and then I went looking on the low IFR chart, and I couldn't mm-hmm. find them there, and I mm-hmm. think I even looked at the high IFR chart and couldn't find mm-hmm. them there. What, teach me something about IFR. What, what are okay. those fixes? How? Well, what, what's the story there? The first first thing I'm going to teach you here is is to go back and look at the symbology. Okay. Uh, Ramy is is denoted by a standard triangle, mm-hmm. cor- correct? Yes. Which denotes that it's a more or less a standard intersection that can can be defined um, by um, a VOR radial and DME definition. Okay. Okay. Uh, in this case, it's probably uh, yeah, it is a zero eight now. I believe um, it is just a, it's, an intersection it's of two airways. The, yeah. the, the, the uh, two six seven radial off of P's at six miles. No, well, that's, no, that's the that's the P port. Never mind. I, it's hard to tell from this charting. Yeah. Uh, how, it, how Ramy is defined, um, but the, the triangle denotes basically a VOR DME type of of uh, intersection okay. fix. Yeah. The um, um, the star of Dave or whatever that is, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, not a star, Dave, but it is a star. Yeah. It's a four, four, four pointed, pointed star. star yeah. With a hollow center, is an RNAV. Um, um, fix. Okay. It's, it's defined uh, basically lat long, and you find it using uh, in, inertial reference or GPS or um, the force or, or whatever. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so you probably uh, those those fixes could have dual purposes. They could be associated, for example, with an RNAV procedure into P's Air Force Base. 
they could be associated with an RNF procedure uh, into Manchester, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but for all intents and purposes, that doesn't matter. They are defined here uh, on this chart. They're defined in the RNAV database uh, that one would be carrying to be able to fly this procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're basically, again, defined in, in lat long. Uh, and then if you proceed you know, past Shul and past Arbella and you get to Coty and to Jimmy and to uh, um, Nelly and, and other fixes on this uh, on this departure, you will find them charted on probably low altitude and or high altitude mm-hmm. charts, uh, perhaps even on a sectional, depending on the type of fix it is. Norwich, of course, um, is a VOR. Barnes is a VOR. Calverton is a VOR. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all going to be defined uh, on low altitude and or sectional charts also. So they they don't appear on, 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 on the sectional or on the low IFR just because it adds too much clutter or it's just kind of nonsensical to even show these on a visual chart? I mean, I, I, I guess if I'm, you put all the IFR fixes yeah. on all the plates, on all the VFR sectionals, yeah. on top of all the other stuff that's on the VFR sectionals, uh, man, you're going to get some really busy uh, symbology around a lot of airports. I mean, consider the, the plate that you're looking at here. This is one approach to one airport, but multiple runways that you can use as approach to get into that airport. Uh, now multiply th- these symbols for this approach and the distances and the information that define them, like the the open triangle is basically a, a, a reporting point or a fix. It's defined by DME distance from a VOR and a radial. Uh, multiply that by the number of approaches and drop them onto the uh, sectional, also right around the airport where they're in play. I don't see how you decipher all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they put it on the approach plate at a large enough scale to be visible, and then they give you a whole second page or set of pages, actually, uh, with the legend for all the symbols there. Mm-hmm. And presumably, if you apply yourself while you're taking instrument training, most of the ones that you use most frequently will be committed to memory by the time you get there. You don't need them on the en route sectional. Yeah, yeah. You know, I fly. I obviously fly out uh, airlines out of Manchester a lot, and uh, and and this or one. I get the feeling this may be the departure that I'm always seeing when we. Usually, when airliners fly out of Manchester, they take off on runway three five, which is that sort of northwest um, oriented runway. And uh, it's very, very common for them to take off on 3.5 and to kind of make a, make a right turn and go right over Lookout Point, which is because uh, now I can see because they were headed for this Ramey intersection. And they do make this big, big, you know, kind of uh, big right turn and head down over uh, sort of Cape Ann part of uh, uh, north of Boston. And if you're on the re- correct side of the airplane, you get a great view of Boston as we're, as we're flying down uh, through, through uh, Massachusetts. And a very, very common departure um, from my experience as an airline passenger. One day, um, w- the weather was such that we departed on one of the south-facing uh, runways at Manchester. 
And and I thought, oh, this is great. We're going to save like 10, 15 minutes because we're going to like go south and we're going to pick up this departure a little bit further south and uh, it's going to be great. And so we took off on, uh, you know, whatever one it, what it was and it just made a great big sweeping like 270 degree turn, all right? around to pick up the Ramey intersection and do mm-hmm. the exact same mm-hmm. thing again. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only we did not gain the 15 minutes, we probably lost 10 minutes right. kind of looping around in order to get back to where we started. And, well, uh, two things, and, and, and Dave touched on one of them. Um, charting some of these fixes on a sectional chart wouldn't, would, just wouldn't add anything. No, I get that. I mean, I get, you know, uh, like there's, P-Port there's no has no purpose. use to a, right. to a VFR pilot. Right, yeah, right. right. There's, just no, there's just no use for it on a, on a VFR chart. There's probably very little use for it on a low altitude in route <laughs> chart. And the, the point is that, um, um, you know, the controllers typically, you know, they'll know when they clear uh, someone for this departure that um, what route they're going to be taking generally. They know when they clear someone to hold at a at – a, uh, an in route, uh, um, I'm sorry, an airway, an intersection on an airway, uh, pretty much where that air, that intersection is. Um, they know when they clear someone into a hold over a final or over an initial approach fix into Manchester, pretty much where that that fix is. Also, all that stuff uh, um, is only really relevant when you're the pilot looking at that approach plate for that in, initial approach fix holding point, or you're the guy looking at the low altitude chart for that intersection to hold at. Um, it doesn't need to be charted in all these other little places. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. I can see that. It makes sense. And, and, and it, as it works out, Jack, it's also some, some stuff with this particular approach or departure, I'm sorry, here that Jeb or I would never see. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a turbojet only departure. I see. Okay. If you look at the distances involved here between the fixes, by the time you hit, for example, the Nelly fix on your way out, you're about a hundred miles from the airport. Mm-hmm. It's and, and and recommended crossing altitude is seventeen thousand. Yeah, so it's not going to work for the Comanche, I guess, right? But I, I could do it, but I'm probably going to need all of that hundred miles to get up there. <laughs> exactly. And 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 and, and the old Lycoming is going to be wheezing a bit too. Yeah, there we go. I send them build a textron. <laughs> Please raise your right hand. I, Cedric Mortimer Flapdoodle, do solemnly swear. I, Cedric Mortimer Flapdoodle, do solemnly swear. That the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are appearing as private individuals. Uh, that the, uh, the, the guys on this podcast are here because they want to be. And that their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. And they're not speaking on behalf of their employers. And anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft and operation. when they talk about airplanes. Is obviously very, very general. general. It's very Don't general. Don't get ahead of me, son. Sorry, sorry. You should always consider your situation, remember your training, and fly the aircraft. You should think about where you are, how you got there, and what to Congratulations. do. Congratulations. Thank you. So this story falls into the same category, in my mind anyways, is that foolish old, what was it, light speed or light, uh, what was that, uh, the folks who wanted to steal all the GPS frequencies? Um, oh. And, and that story just wouldn't go away, and I just got really tired of us talking about it, and I'm very nearly as tired of us talking about sleep apnea as I was about us talking about that. But apparently there was some develop. yeah, I know, see? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
issues ever. Do you remember the TV show um, Hill Street Blues? And so Hill Street Blues had a oh, had right. a uh, a semi regular character um, who was a, a buddy of the police officers. Oh, who, the narcoleptic, the narcoleptic comic, uh, whose name by the way, just for some reason his his name was Vic Hitler. And, Vic uh, Hitler, right? <laughs> Vic Hitler, and he was a narcoleptic. And his problem was he was a pretty good comic. The problem was he would literally fall asleep on stage. Right? Um, I'm sorry. Sleep apnea. This is a much is a very serious subject, all right? Um, but I am tired of talking about it in terms of general aviation. Has there been some development here? Has there been some development? First of all, who's Fred Tilton? Who's Air, Federal Air Surgeon Fred Tilton? He's the Chief Air Surgeon. He's the head guy? Yeah. Okay, so he's not... Okay, all right. So, And he's apparently come forward in the last couple of days with, with an announcement. What, what did he say? Well, I, th- I think their sleep apnea... Uh, plans have been put on on, on Weight Watchers. Uh, they now are going to consult with the community, and they're going to start working on this in, in this newfound openness to talking to the people that would be affected uh, in January. Uh, and and abandoning their plans to just do this on their own full tilt boogie down the torpedoes full speed ahead and if you don't like it don't fly Uh, and I know sleep apnea specialists all over the country are crying over this but right where did this come from? Have we figured out yet where this came from? I, I always held it sort of in my head that this was sort of a Gordon Baxter kind of mess, where we had a rogue surgeon, you know, you know, uh, AME someplace who decided this was important and and elevated it without really consulting anybody. I mean, is that a realistic guess? It, or? It's as it's as realistic as anything. I I, yes. I you know I come back to um, someone's. Someone somewhere, and I can't verify this, I can't prove it, and I'm not going to name any names, but someone somewhere bought into a, a medical apparatus firm and decided what better <laughs> way to make some money on this investment than to to force uh, pilots to get sleep apnea treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's but that's just cynical me. Okay? Well, no, there, apparently there is a piece of apparatus well, that's involved here. That's uh, yeah. Well, and and the testing and and all this is is not nickel and dime stuff. Yeah. All things considered. By the way, I've heard that the piece of apparatus that I'm thinking of is actually somewhat effective. It's just expensive. And, I'm uh, not questioning the apparatus's effectiveness. Um, I I would question not only the process but the need for sleep apnea to be such a big deal when getting a medical certificate. See, fatigue has come up on the NTSB's radar screen frequently enough and for long enough that it's now, you know, one of their, one of their, they highlight it at every opportunity where the evidence in the investigation supports the idea. So this came up in the, in the uh, Dash 8 accident. That the guy that was badly trained and so forth had been suffering from sleep apnea, hadn't gotten good rest. But I don't remember anything in the report for that accident that said he was anything approaching obese. Yeah, it, yeah. you know, the, this I, yeah. wasn't a fat guy. Yeah, Jeb, you're, fat you're, people aren't the only ones to have sleep apnea. Jeb's yeah, head's I'm, gonna explode if we don't let him talk. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm trying to think back to the. Are you talking about the uh, the Continental Express, the the Dash yeah, Eight yeah. in Buffalo? Yeah. I don't recall that being um, sleep apnea related. Um, it um, was not. 
it was they, the, the pilots were fatigued and and, and that, that what I was trying to get at here was this whole fatigue thing um, yes uh, fatigue has been uh, implicated perhaps blamed in a lot of, of fatal accidents over the years involving scheduled operations as well as general aviation um, but um, the fatigue that uh, has been implicated in those accidents hasn't been a result of sleep apnea. It's been a result of trying to do too much on too little sleep. Right. Overwork. Overwork, bad scheduling, things of this sort. That's overwhelmingly the case. Absolutely. Fatigue has also been implicated in GA accidents when, um, you know, the the pilot, there was was an episode with which I'm I'm familiar that happened within the last couple of months. Um, Guy flew four different legs in one day, all of them IFR. Now, parenthetically, the guy didn't have an instrument rating, but, you know, <laughs> you know small details involved and ended up killing uh, himself and, and half of his family on uh, botching a missed approach at, at the end of the fourth IFR flight of the day. Um, was he fatigued? Sure, he was. Um, but he also didn't have a rating. How he gotten that far? Because he'd done this kind of stuff apparently before. How he gotten that far, and, and especially on that particular day, is another question. Um, the pilots in the Dash Eight that went down at Buffalo were fatigued, uh, in part because the, the first officer had gotten up at like oh dark early the previous day, right. and had literally uh, uh, deadheaded across from Seattle to to JFK or La Garbage or something. Oh, and, yeah. And, and, you know, was sleep-deprived and then flying, you know, I don't know if this was their last leg of the day or whatever. Um, it was late at night. Yeah, she was fatigued. The captain was fatigued, I'm sure, also, uh, perhaps with a different schedule and whatnot. But that doesn't change the fact that he stalled the airplane into the ground. Right. Okay. And, and sleep apnea, I don't know that he ever, ever came up in that particular accident. It did not come up in that particular accident, but the NTSB has made a link with fatigue and sleep apnea as a factor right. that contributes, that right. research has shown, contributes to fatigue But in for, any people event, who, for people who suffer it. So now the air surgeon makes the leap to, well, there's also medical research that shows that uh, uh, an identifiable percentage – according to research, of people that are considered obese, the body mass index in excess of 30, uh, suffer from sleep apnea. It's about a 6 or 7% relationship. Right. It's not a widespread thing. But my, my belief is that there's the springboard on which this doctor decided to leap off the edge with all of us in behind him. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I would simply state that fatigue is always a problem for general aviation pilots. It is always something that they and I and we must guard against. And it is, it is you know, a, a major factor in the ongoing self-certification that we all engage in once we get a medical certificate. If we come down with the flu, we ground ourselves. Yep. If 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 we we're tired, we ground ourselves. Um, there's no difference here. Uh, 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 in my mind, there's no there's no um, linkage uh, to fatigue 
being a, uh, let, let me rephrase it, there's no linkage to sleep apnea being a cause of fatigue that crashes general aviation airplanes. I would 100% with you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we've got a guy here that's made a leap for whatever reasons. Uh, I think based on you know the, these tentative uh, research numbers, and if you boil down the percentage of people who are obese as a part of the pilot population, you get a tiny number. The ones that suffer from sleep apnea, you get a smaller number. Uh, it just the justification for it doesn't exist. I don't believe. Right. So uh, now the whole thing has been kind of reined in now. And, uh, and well, Congress got in. Not not only was the surgeon under pressure from the alphabet groups, AOPA, EAA, NBAA, uh, in particular. Uh, there was also some issues with uh, the pilots' unions uh, quietly pushing in, in this direction. Oh, I not heard Congress that one. Yeah. got in the act and introduced a bill. To keep the air surgeon from acting on this, and if he continues to accelerate in the direction of doing this come hell or high water, all it's going to do is up the odds that Congress will actually defy the odds and do something. Yeah, okay. So so what's going to happen now? Will this become more of the go fall the kind of traditional rulemaking process with a comments period and the whole thing? Or Well, I'm not sure of that. I, I don't think... Yeah, I, I get the impression that uh, Tilton um, is going to be forced to have some kind of a public dialogue on this topic. I think rulemaking would be a long stretch. Uh, I'm not familiar with uh, um, how uh, all the intimate uh, ways in which the FA modifies its policy on medical certificates. Um, but I don't recall uh, there ever having been a rulemaking to add uh, X, Y, or Z conditions as disqualifying or or needful of um, uh, special issuances. That process is mainly a peer-reviewed process, or and and uh, perhaps with input from the alphabet soup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even the peers who would be doing the review don't agree with the ways in which this was explained to them and and dropped in their laps. Oh, they, um, they weren't consulted. They were told. Yeah, they, exactly, exactly. So that dialogue apparently will happen, and you can bet that there will be um, uh, input from the alphabet soup. W- one other point here, too, is it's kind of, as I like to say, quite a coinkydink that um, um, – <laughs> The, the the current Congress that just took on took off on vacation late last week, uh, I think passed something like six six sixty bills six zero bills uh, during during the uh, present session. There there were sixty laws enacted. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Bills passed both houses of of Congress and went to the president, and the president signed them. One of those bills, if you'll recall, was the small aircraft. Revitalization Act, right. Sarah, mm-hmm. which sought to implement and, and move forward on uh, recommendations that an FAA aviation uh, rulemaking committee had made to the agency relative to Part 23 uh, aircraft certification. Um, and this was all over, <clears throat> I'm sorry, over the last year or so, this um, ARC finished its work, submitted its report. Legislation was introduced. It passed both houses of Congresses, both both houses of Congress, and was signed by the president. All within the last year, and once that kind of thing happens, 
you, you thought, well, that's interesting. There's some people on the hill with some with some juice that actually want to do something for GA. And then this sleep apnea thing hit, and there was immediately a bill dropped mm-hmm. yep. that would overturn such any, any such decision or prevent it from even being uh, implemented. And then not long after that, there was a bill dropped in <clears throat> that would basically make, uh, that would apply the driver's license medical uh, uh, regulatory schema to um, anything weighing six thousand, weighing less than six thousand pounds. Yeah. Now I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast. We, this is it's big. not on the list. It's not on the list. I don't think we've talked about this. This is big. I think. We, yeah, we, we didn't. Well, when we got well, together let, and let, said let me, we're not doing one tonight. Yeah, let, let, let me finish my thought. Yeah, here go ahead. Jeff, real please. Quick. And the, the logical conclusion is, if you're the federal air surgeon, you're seeing all this stuff. You know, maybe I don't. Maybe I was a little hasty. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe I should take a step. Maybe back. there is somebody and, paying and, attention. And you're, and you're right. You know, maybe we should talk about this some more so that you'll see my point of view. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and here's the thing. This is not brain surgery and this is not, uh, you know, just serendipity at work here. Can you all tell me what the largest legislative caucus is on Capitol Hill today? Yeah. I, I, I can guess. Is it the GA caucus? It is the GA caucus, the yeah, General Aviation Caucus, with over 260. 127 percent of the Congress are in it, right? It's like it's well, huge. there's 535 members of Congress. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, it's huge. It's crazy. We've 60. talked about that. Yeah, yeah, they have almost 50 percent right off the bat. That most of whom will come in on anything that's not going to cost their district or their state money is not going to raise taxes on anybody, and is not not going to put new regulations on some small business that's in the aviation community, that which opens up a whole wealth of stuff that they can do to make the FAA do. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that kind of brings me to my next subject, uh, the, the sort of the last thing on the list today. Um, and so I want to take an opportunity to uh, uh, talk a little bit about the kind of year in review, right? It's kind of the obligatory thing. Um, and, uh, um, and, and, and more than year in review, I want to talk about the year in, in you know looking forward all right but but let's talk about the year in review for just a second here um has it been a good year for general aviation has are we better off than we were a year ago uh well wow, that's a good question i think i i, I i'd I, say i think we've had a i think we've had a flat year in terms of business in terms of this production and sale of new airplanes uh i think we've had a relatively flat year in terms of flying activity Charter and individual, uh, and corporate for that matter. Uh, although charter has been up a little bit, it's also had some months when it was flattered down a little bit. Uh, so I think end to end, the 12 months, that it's been more flat than it has been upslope. There have been some little pockets where things have gotten better and some pockets where things have gotten worse. Right. Uh, Cessna's deliveries are down. Cirrus's deliveries are uh, about flat. Uh, Piper's deliveries uh, are up, and Beach Aircraft deliveries are up. Right, and so uh, uh, you know, there's noise that Mooney might try to make a comeback. Uh, I don't think anybody out there would expect them to go, you know, great gangbusters. But I think everybody would recognize that that level of performance in an aircraft at that efficiency is always going to have a niche market. Mm-hmm. If there you can find the niche buyer, right? I think we've made zero progress and have gone backward in 
arresting the decline of the pilot population. And nothing else will save us without that happening mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. Jeb, jump in here. What do you think? Well, that's a very good point. Uh, I think we indeed have made zero progress on arresting the decline of the pilot population. Um, Despite a lot of well-intentioned efforts, um, despite a lot of hand-waving and jumping up and down and, and uh, discussion, uh, both formal and informal, as well as on various podcasts, um, I think the industry as a whole, I think it's been a relatively stable year as far as uh, production of, of new aircraft is concerned. Um, um, we haven't seen, you know, if any new models, we haven't seen uh, too many of those this past year, uh, which is kind of the new normal. All right. Um, is it what we want it to be? Hell no. Is it what it should be? Hell no. Is it what it was 15, 20 years ago? Hell no. Um, what do we do about it is a whole nother topic for a whole nother episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with David. Um, we, some of the root problems that with which we entered the year are still with us. Um, we're still here, which is a good thing. Um, you know, those who, who preach doom and gloom, uh, would, would say, well, it's, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I've been hearing about the demise of general aviation um, um, your whole life, basically my whole life. You know, it's it's yeah. the it's the standard thing. Yeah, my family's had problems with immigrants ever since we came to this country. Um, uh, it's 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 the same it's the same kind of mentality. Yeah. Uh, um, Let me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we're slowly shrinking. Uh, we're, we're we're facing. The same challenges today that we were a year ago, um, they're slightly different. Um, we certainly don't need federal air surgeons coming in and, and screwing up the mix, you, 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 more, more so than it's already screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, all of that having been said, um, it's, 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 it's been a, I don't know, I, I, I hesitate to use the word good, but it has not been a bad year. Well, right. that's interesting Agreed. that you would say that. Let me ask you this question. Um, has the, uh, the, uh, the United States federal government's budget shenanigans hurt general aviation in the past year? Oh, temporarily, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that's uh, – um, yeah, I'll accept that framing for now. I know what you're getting at, but uh, any greater discussion, I would probably want to redefine the terms of the discussion. Well, I was visiting with some uh, acquaintances and some people that I overlap circles of friends with. Uh, Last week when the Aero Club of Wichita had an industry panel as their lunch program uh, at a couple of after-hours events that same evening and later in the week, uh, the government shutdown stopped screeching halt aircraft transactions for more than the length of the shutdown because it took the FAA a little while to get back up to where they could start handling the paperwork again. That was Oklahoma City. So for the better for basically for 3 weeks you couldn't buy sell or change registration, you couldn't close a loan. 
you couldn't complete the, the, the process on a new or even a used airplane, mm-hmm. which hung up a lot of new transactions. Now, the folks that I was talking about speaking with me over the last week or so, uh, they are all now in a major, major push yeah. to get all these transactions that were in the pipeline done before midnight of December 31st. Uh, some of that's for tax reasons. Some of it's for finance reasons. Some of them's uh, because the people that are selling the airplane need desperately to have it off their books by then for reasons of their own. Uh, it's making for a lot of overtime for which the people having to put in the overtime are not going to make any extra money. They can't put in for time and a half. They bill for the project. If the project takes double the hours that it should have, that's how long it takes. Uh, a whole lot of R&D slowed down because of the shutdown, because there were inspectors that weren't allowed to go out and inspect things. There were paperwork applications that didn't get moved and signed off. Uh, there were a lot of little subtle below-the-radar screen things here. Mm-hmm. But did it halt air commerce in a general way? No. P- passengers still moved. Freight still moved. The, the mail still moved. Uh, so it wasn't really visible if you weren't in that part of the community that's involved in buying and selling and, and transferring paper on airplanes. Uh, but the long and short of this, I think Jeb's right. We, uh, we're still whistling past the graveyard on this a little bit because we've seen what in the last 15 years, we've seen uh, four, five, six major efforts to jumpstart the growth, uh, the, the, the pilot population from shrinkage to positive numbers. None of them were backed by entities willing to put the long-term money into it that it will eventually take if they want to still have a community to sell airplanes to and service airplanes for in the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we've seen another one kind of go by the wayside. It was in a major association for which we're all familiar and, and, and not to be picking on anybody. I'm not going to name them. But they built this whole internal organization around encouraging flying clubs and joint ownership and partnerships as a way to lower the entry bar for becoming a GA pilot and owning uh, at least part of your own airplane. Uh, When that organization went through a reorganization of sorts, employee-wise, a few months ago, pretty much that entire infrastructure was taken down. The lead people were let go kindly but let go and what was left of the organization is being absorbed by other parts of the organization that can't give it the full-time effort that the whole idea was to give it back when this thing was launched so we've seen be a pilot come and go we've seen flying clubs kind of come and falter we've seen all these other ways of trying to attract people the EAA now has its uh, program not the young eagles but the ones for the older folks that could actually afford to buy give them first flights uh, it's not nearly on the gangbusters curve that young eagles was when it was this new but it seems to be catching some traction yeah. uh, problem is that the numbers just don't keep up yeah Jeb any thoughts on 2013 yeah, I just well, two things. Um, 
real quickly, um, t- 2013, you know, we, 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 had, we lost Paul Pobresny. Um, and that was a big deal. Uh, for Absolutely. all three, of, all three of us certainly. Yeah. Uh, for the for our listeners, I think also certainly, and and clearly for the for the industry as a whole. So that was you know certainly a big downer. Uh, gave us an opportunity to remember the man. Gave us an opportunity to to thank him, uh, uh, um, for his contributions. Um, so yeah, that was that was certainly a loss. Um, secondly, I think you know keying on 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 some things that David has said. I. I recently had occasion to uh, spend some time with some some people who were not general aviation types, and but but in the context of uh, the conversation, um, what I do and how I do it and where I do it uh, uh, came up on several occasions, and um, these are people with the means to pretty much do anything they would want to do uh, in an airplane with a, within reason. Um, and queried me quite extensively on various aspects of, of my aircraft operation. Um, a couple of thoughts out of those conversations from, from me would include this is a group of people not w- with the wherewithal to, uh, to go out and, and, and buy a, a used airplane, perhaps, or, or certainly to buy uh, a piece of a used airplane um, without a whole lot of thought. Um, maybe go buy a brand new service again without you know a whole lot of of planning or, or thought about it uh, if the need uh, arose if the if the uh, um, spirit moved them the spirit moved them if if there was a business sense uh, if there was a business uh, reason I should say for for doing so um, but the punchline in all that is a general aviation airplane was the furthest thing from their minds. Um, whether for transportation reasons or, or they didn't have a transportation need, uh, those needs were being met by automobiles um, or airlines. Um, the, you know, sure, the griping about, uh, well, I got to change planes, and okay, fine. Um, but the concept of getting in a general aviation airplane and accomplishing that travel mission. It simply wasn't on their radar screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and on countless occasions uh, during those conversations, uh, you know, I'd be asked, well, who do you talk to? To, you know, when, when you leave Hidden River, who do you have to talk to? I don't have to talk to anybody. Uh, why not? Well, uh, because that's not the way it works. Uh, because the weather's good and, and the weather is kind of the determining factor in who I have to talk to and when. Um, well, you know, how far can you go? As far as the tanks will hold, you know, as much gas as the tanks will hold, really. And, and you know, you start to you, you start peeling this onion, and um, there are I don't want to say misconceptions. Perhaps that that is the correct word, but there's just a total lack of conception mm-hmm. of of what general aviation is, what personal aviation is, and and how it can be beneficial. Um, there's, um, uh, it's not so much that people are ignoring this, it's that they simply haven't been educated. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to skin that cat. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that uh, um, um, the organization that Dave was just speaking of and, and its internal program that was recently disbanded, some of those things I think have a great deal of merit. But so much of, of um, the uh, uh, no plane, no gain and, and, and things of that sort are preaching to the choir. And I don't know how yep. to get it beyond... Um, um, the internal discussions that we've all been having. I, I, I will say one thing, and I'll, I'll shut up. I do remember, I want to say it was back in the 80s or 90s, I do remember a, um, a, an ad campaign. And this was actually a commercial. It was on cable or, or something like that, um, where um, uh, a couple is sitting around a kitchen table, and the husband is... I've got to get to uh, East Jabit uh, tomorrow, and then I've got to go back, and you know, and I got to do all this on the airlines, or I got to do all this by car, and da 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 da. And uh, the wife says, "Well, why don't you just charter an airplane?" And the guy says, "Oh my God, you know how much that would cost?" And she says, "No, do you?" And the whole idea was to think about. Um, the alternatives to an airliner or mm -hmm. getting in your personal vehicle to accomplish all these missions and how, uh, whether it was a, a charter or, or a rented airplane or, or something like that, they, that it could in fact be done and you could in fact get home for dinner and you could in fact do all of these things. But that message um, isn't, being, isn't being sold at least um, at least uh, in the in the uh, the small business arena, at least in the the uh, echelon of people with whom you know I was having these conversations recently, it's it's being sold in the uh, to the quote the one percent unquote. It's being sold um, in in top level corporations and professional with professionally flown crews and turbine powered aircraft, and it's not being sold at the lower echelons and. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. You're 100% right. We, and when we do sell, we do a terrible job at it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't count the number of times that I've been around people who stopped at a particular airport that I'm partial to and wanted to learn how to fly, wanted to know about learning to fly. And somebody there held up their hand and said, well, I was just getting ready to go out and fly right along and I'll talk to you about it as opposed to a couple of the flight schools I hear where they hand you the brochure and they say well this explains a little bit about it and what the costs are going to be and we offer convenient financing now I don't know about you guys but being told that what I'm interested in doing is going to need convenient financing <laughs> well you know, exactly it, it, jump out at me and go, whoa, uh, yeah. what kind of money are we talking about here? Oh, you know, the average student does it in eight to $10,000. Right. And I was like, uh, wait a minute. And then there's the guy that says, well, you could buy into a club. You can use that airplane to get your lessons in. Uh, they have a flight instructor in the club. It's going to cost you maybe three grand or four, and most of that's going to be gas. Right. Well, oh boy, now that's a whole different cat to skin. 
And uh, my favorite is, what did you guys pay for that airplane that you got your pilot's license in? Well, we paid less for that airplane than we did for my 1989 Isuzu Trooper when it was mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And we bought the airplane five years after we bought the Trooper because paying off the Trooper was one of the catalysts to having the money to buy the airplane. Well, one, of the, one of these conversations that I related um, occurred while I'm sitting in the back of um, about a 30-foot boat. Um, not a cabin class, but it's a uh, it's a nice uh, center cockpit uh, um, skiff or, or whatever oh, the hell it's nice. called. Yeah, um, um, two, um, I don't know if they were Evinrudes or Mercuries or, or two outboard engines of 250 horsepower apiece. Okay, not cheap. I'm guessing 30 grand a pop for for one of those engines. The boat itself is probably 60, 75. I don't know boat prices. Um, and it's burning about five gallons a minute. It's and it's you know on a, on a miles per gallon basis. Um, um, airplane I, wins every time. Airplane wins every time. I could I could fly on the on the uh, the sump drainings uh, from this. Okay. <laughs> um, <sighs> well, you should have seen the look on the people's face when they ask us. And this was with the Cherokee. Okay. Right. 150 horsepower fixed gear Cherokee fixed pitch prop that was absolutely straining and wheezing at optimal altitude, optimal power to do 105 knots, Mm -hmm. 120 miles an hour. And the people said, so, you know, what's it cost to, you know, what's it cost to fuel for a trip like this? I said, well, we burn about 8.8 gallons per hour. I'm getting 13 miles per gallon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going 120 miles an hour in a straight line. Yeah. And nothing that you've got in the parking lot can match that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And well, it got even easier in the Comanche when I was at, when I look at them straight cold and I said, "Oh, well, if I if I insist on going 160 miles an hour, the mileage drops down to about 16 miles per gallon." And look on their face. Wait, oh, time out. You get 160 miles an hour at 16 miles per gallon? Yeah, it cost me 10 gallons to go every 160 miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. yeah. Before we wrap this thing up, let's let's talk a little bit about the, the, the uh, coming year. We're certainly going to be following these kinds of stories as we have for seven years now, um, and we'll, we'll follow them into 2014. But are there any particular stories? And I'm not going to ask you to predict the future about things that are going to happen in 2014 <laughs> necessarily. But uh, but w- w- what do you think some of the stories will be in 2014? I have a couple of thoughts, but but maybe you know we'll. Let me let me throw out one first. Will 100 low lead alternatives um, be a, a story in 2014? Absolutely. Yeah. What, what what do you think we'll see some real progress, or will it just continue to thrash? Because this falls I, into the category that Jeb alluded we're already, to. I think we're already seeing real progress. You think we are? That that, uh, that there are companies out there actually applying for approvals for their fuel that they can make now. This isn't vaporware. This is an achievable project by simply not adding one thing and adding more of another. And they've already done the testing to back it up. They're applying for approval. I think we could start to see this being sold 
at FBOs by this time next year or certainly in early 2015. Really? Jeb, you think you agree with that? I agree with everything right up to the timetable. Um, The uh, uh, Piston Aviation Fuels Initiative uh, is looking at a four or five year uh, process here. The FAA, I think, is also looking uh, to have its testing either um, complete or well underway somewhere around 2018. Okay. Uh, so we're looking I, – I, we're going to see progress. I, I wouldn't call it thrashing. I would call it incremental progress. Okay. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that um, uh, perhaps at an increasing rate um, in the coming year. Okay. What else? Name something else that will be a story in 2014 in general aviation. I think we may see the first single-engine light jet certified. Really? I'll, uh, I the, I, uh, I, I'm not giving it high odds, but it is possible. I'll, uh, the what? Is the Cirrus jet a single-engine? I think it is, right? It, it single, Cirrus is a single-engine. The time it is a single-engine. Okay. Uh, I would put the Cirrus as the one closest to the, the possibility of... Uh, and there are a couple of also rands out there that have been real quiet lately, and their uh, their feedback when I approach them is that we're still making progress, which tells me that they're probably not doing anything. <laughs> uh, we're going to see a couple of hot new little light jets uh, uh, get on the market next year. Uh, we may even see the Sino Swearingen uh, evolution start to sell airplanes. Uh, I don't think it's far fetched to think that Congress may act on this medical certificate legislation. I, I, that was my I next was, question. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I, what do you I think? I was kind of thinking along those terms too. I I don't know how they will act, what they will say, uh, and in fact, I'm I'm not really holding my breath either. But I do tend to think that this this there's a snowball starting to roll downhill here on medical certification, and when you've got um, uh, a bill like this introduced in Congress, when you've got a, a, a long-standing petition, when you've got the, the the federal air surgeon stirring the pot here a little bit, and in making some of this stuff come out of the woodwork, uh, there's obviously some pent-up demand. There's some pent-up interest. In in um, deregu- what I will call deregulating uh, airman medical certification, and um, oh, that's a good way to put it, dude. Say it yeah, again. Really deregulating is. airman. De- Go ahead. Deregulating airman medical certification. All right. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what this is. This is a dereg effort, and that's I think the way it should be sold by the industry. Uh, but having having you know publicly coined that or whatever the hell else. Um, I do think that that some of this has some legs. It it may not uh, come to pass in this in the coming year, um, but um, I think uh, again there will be some some thrashing to use Jack's word um, uh, on this topic. And uh, who knows what we might see by by this time uh, next year, or, or certainly by Oshkosh next okay. year. How about um, 
And I'm going to kind of tread lightly back into an area that Jeb had an issue with, but uh, I, I referred earlier to the federal government's budget shenanigans. Um, so we we had a, a serious, serious um, threat of tower closures a while mm-hmm. back. Yeah, we'll that, see that. That was all put yeah. on hold for a while. Is is that going to come back and, and loom? And- I think that's been put on hold uh, for another period of time. Um, we're talking uh, on Monday the 23rd um, last week. Uh, Congress approved and sent to the president uh, for signature, and I believe it was in fact signed, um, yep. a, a budget document <clears throat> covering the current and the next fiscal year, as I recall. Um, and, and, and for those of you that don't have your abacus, that's two years. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so did uh, and that, that fund that takes us, all these things takes, like the towers? Yeah, because the sequestration was not part of that equation. Okay. Uh, there were deals cut, uh, and in fact, the uh, the total uh, uh, number of dollars in the federal budget actually increased for the first time in in recent memory. Um, so I, I think the pressure is off, um, at least for, at least from the sequestration uh, bugaboo that we that we've all come to know and fear. Um, I think. As a result, that the FAA and and um, other um, um, related agencies will be, it's not certainly not um, um, richly funded, but certainly adequately funded in the foreseeable future. Um, and sequestration again, I don't think is going is going to be the issue that it was a year or so ago. Now, that all, all of that having been said, mm-hmm. not only. Not even God knows what the FAA is going to do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, if they get a wild hair up their butt, they can. They'll, they'll they'll come out with some new rule that says only people with first class medicals can fly into certain airports. Mm-hmm. And and everything and all the other towers will be closed uh, unless you have a first class medical, and then you have to call ahead and make arrangements. I don't know. Have you even heard whispers of that kind of thing? Of course not. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, and in a world where people think something like Duck Dynasty is real, oh, who knows what's coming? All right, here we go. <laughs> it's not even. No, no, we're not even going to begin to go there. Right, just, just cut that out. Later. Any other, any other uh, uh, stories that'll be interesting and and uh, notable in uh, 2014? Aviation oh, yeah. wise, like what? Well, I, oh, I, I know one story. Yeah. I think Oshkosh will crack it up a notch uh, yet again. That EAA regained its footing last year mm-hmm. and that they will just keep pushing the the uh pushing the uh, ball up the hill with the next oshkosh yeah uh i think eaa will start to recover some of its uh some of its lost luster uh, i'm not sure about that other outfit right uh we could always hope but uh, eaa uh, already has i mean eaa has made EAA huge al- already right uh I think we'll see a couple of new uh, airplanes proposed to come into the market for the single engine uh, for the single engine market that aren't LSAs, uh, and hopefully we'll start to see Sport Pilot actually make some uh, inroads into helping reverse the shrinkage in the pilot population. But nothing will do that like. Congress could do that if they follow through. Right. And and I don't think that that's all that long a shot that they will follow through. 
Yeah. Jeb, I know you had one, but before you do that, I want to go back a step here. D- David, so um, you talk about EA making progress, and we were talking about the budget shenanigans. You know, I haven't heard any follow-up on the whole story about EAA getting reimbursed for the tower controllers uh, during your venture. Have, have you heard That's, anything about this? Yeah, I heard it's an ongoing uh, it's an ongoing litigation. I, I know it was a litigation, but now the budget got passed. Did the budget include money to reimburse them for this? Uh, I don't think it specifically did. Uh, if if it did, nobody's making any hay about it. Do we think but the budget it, includes money? It also money? included money. Well, here's the thing. This was a budget. There's another step that has to happen before we know how how what agencies get to spend how much. Right. And that's called the appropriations process. Appropriations haven't happened yet. Just the act of setting up a budget that says, this is how much you have to spend and this is how much we propose. I see. All right. So we got it for those areas. Now, what's been proposed for the FAA will cover what they've done in the past, as did the 2013 budget that the FAA insisted on billing to EAA anyway. Right. And Sun and Fund, for that matter. Right, right, yeah, that's true, yeah. So th- th- there's nothing in the budget that was just passed that I don't, I think, addresses that. Yeah, okay. That will come up in the appropriations process, though. I, I, I think you can count on the alphabet group saying, by the way, when you're appropriating, fix this fracking stuff. Yeah, really, really. Jeb, either follow up on that or what, did, what was your uh, story for next year? Um, what I was thinking about was, first of all, with respect to uh, um, um, ATC uh, services at major fly-ins, there wasn't anything in the budgets prior to this point that said the FAA could go out and pull hundreds of thousands of dollars Correct. from general aviation trade associations. Neither was there anything prohibiting them from that. Right. Uh, and in fact, it could be said that uh, the legislation passed earlier this year uh, in the wake of the um, ATC slowdowns associated with sequestration um, made, um, um, made the FAA not only exempt from uh, sequestration, but should have remedied uh, statutorily, should have remedied the, uh, the question of whether or not uh, EAA should be paying for Oshkosh Air, Air ATC services, and the answer would be no. Um, we haven't seen the last of that by a long shot, and, okay. and uh, uh, certainly um, uh, that's something that we we um, we should have highlighted earlier on. Um, how that'll get resolved uh, is is in effect subject to ongoing litigation. Um, there, a petition was filed by uh, EAA prior to Oshkosh this year. Right. Uh, it is still pending, apparently, uh, before that court. Okay. Uh, now, shifting gears, I think one thing you'll see during 2014 is uh, the final, uh, praise the Lord, certification of the Honda Jet. Honda Jet, Okay. Yep, it's been it's been out there ten years. They finally just got some interim approval of the engines, um, and uh, which is an integral part of this particular airplane. It's all a Honda. It's 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 completely Honda manufactured aircraft. The engines are Honda. Well, with some GE collaboration, um, um, and the airframe is all Honda. But uh, I think we'll st- I think we're going going to be seeing that come to uh, 
uh, certification status uh, this year, and perhaps even with first deliveries. Mm-hmm. When you say praise the Lord, it, it just just because any it's new been aircraft, a long, is a... it, it's been a long process. It's been at least ten years. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, is it just because any new aircraft is a good thing, or is there something particular about this one? This has always seemed like an odd duck of an aircraft to me. I don't know why. I... Well. <sighs> It is, it's a little bit of an odd duck of an aircraft. Um, the, um, the, it's fairly conventional. It's all composite, as I recall. Um, uh, the, the, the most novel characteristic of the aircraft is the, the engines are mounted on pods above the wings. Yeah, I, the, the, for some reason, okay. I, I fixate on that. You know, the, yeah. the, the way the, the engines are mounted is kind of odd. Right, it's but. a conventional swept-wing, T-tail, uh, uh, light business jet. Um, in, in any other, any, any other uh, engineering firm, the engines would be uh, uh, mounted uh, in, on the tail, side-by-side, uh, side, or on either side of the fuselage in the tail. In this configuration, they're mounted on pods, ex- uh, on, on uh, uh, pylons, I should say, extending up from the top of the wing. Mm-hmm. And there are some very sound aerodynamic reasons for that that Honda will be happy to explain to you. Um, but I think... Um, um, how to how to say this? Um, I tend to think uh, um, the people behind this at Honda know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also tend to think that this is a a long term project for the company. Uh, this is the first of uh, the first time that they've uh, um, made this kind of a commitment to. Uh, the aviation industry that that uh, of which I'm aware anyway, um, so they're going to be taking their time. Mm-hmm. They're going to be learning everything there is to learn about not just the the design and engineering and and, and manufacturing and certification process, um, but how how their own internal processes uh, are are configured to to make all of these things happen and what they might want to do in the future. To uh, to change those processes, what changes they might want in the certification process, or or how they might work better with that certification process in the future, um, and if you think the Honda Jet is the end all and be all of that effort, uh, I want some of your what you're smoking yeah. because um, these these people play a very 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 long game, and I think that uh, we'll. We'll see um, a lot more coming out of Japan and, and specifically Honda in the form of general aviation aircraft in the in the longer term. No, I, um, I, I guess you could be right. You know, I, I I confess I should be less I don't know cynical is the right word, but doubtful about this. I, I confess that I, I'm old enough to remember when Honda got into the co- the automobile business, right? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. today just seems like, well, yeah, of course, Honda makes automobiles. They make great yeah. automobiles, right? I remember when they made their first automobiles, <laughs> and we all thought, this is nuts. What are they yeah. thinking? They're going to make yeah. automobiles? Right? They're a motorcycle and they company. they started, started out with a motorcycle engine. Yeah, I know. And they, they're going to make automobiles. They'll never, ever be a success in the automobile business. Well, you know, maybe 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 airplanes is the next thing. And you know? let's see. And they've been in this airplane thing for somewhere in the neighborhood of 24, 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you think you think you think it could get certificated, certificated, I, I, certified I, this year? I think I think so. I think one. Oh, of absolutely. The, yeah, I think it's it's been pretty much ready. It's just a matter of why bring to market something that no one has uh, the ability to buy right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the right. light jet market hasn't been all that strong, 
Uh, the heavy jet market, the turboprop markets have been strong. The light jet market, not so much. Um, and they've been, I'm, as far as I can tell, just been keeping their powder dry, keeping the plant open, keeping the engineering going on. Uh, but at, at, a, at a low rate, uh, just waiting for the market to start coming back. And if, whether 2014 will be the year, I don't know. But slowly the market is coming back. Yeah. Um, it's it's totally up to them, uh, I think, and, and they have the resources, they have the wherewithal, they have the uh, uh, the expertise to make this happen. I think pretty much any time they want. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're not we're, we are not merely approaching the end of our allotted time. It, it's like look at, it's way, way in the it. in the in the rearview mirror here. All right. Um, <laughs> what a way to end the year. We need to wrap this thing up. And, 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 I, I'm I'm going to assume that we've kind of uh, flipped all the cards on 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 the stories that we can think of, anyways, from 2014. The the odds are the actual stories of 2014 will be things that we hadn't even thought of yet. And yeah, exactly. uh, I was going to exactly. say, if we're right on anything, <laughs> all I can say in our defense is accidents will happen. Accidents will happen. That's, that's right. right. But you know, one thing that I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say one thing that's definitely gonna happen in 2014 is we're gonna continue to to bring you these uh, uncontrolled airspace episodes. Yeah, um, I'll it, buy it, that for a dollar. It passes. It passeth understanding why we're still doing this after seven or whatever it is, eight or twelve years or something like that. But uh, I, I still have a great time talking with you guys every couple weeks or so, and and I I hope we continue to do it. And I think we're gonna. Um, I, I feel like a line from a Paul Simon song. Still crazy after all these years. After all these years, um, we're uh, we're we're not only going to be doing uh, regular episodes on a regular basis in 2014. We're looking forward to the uh, the big air show season. Uh, um, at least some of us are going to uh, manage to make our way to uh, Sebring in January to the uh, Light Sport, uh, the Sport Aviation Expo there uh, at Sebring and down in Florida, and we'll be reporting from there on that that part of the industry. We will uh, 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 almost certainly be at uh, Sun and Fun in, uh, I guess it's in late March this year. Late March, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, we're reporting on that part of the industry. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, as the, in the middle of the summer at uh, Air Venture. So, uh, so th- there's a prediction for 2014 that uh, now I'm going to have to fulfill on, right? So uh, uh, anyways, um, I think it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, we need to wrap this thing up. Um, thank you, guys. I appreciate your uh, taking some time to uh, get together. Dave Higdon uh, is a, uh, an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft. Sales Magazine. David, uh, you've been working on anything fun? Uh, well, I was playing with something uh, in the last few days that I've uh, kind of repeatedly had some fun with. So this is my equivalent. It's a shout-out to my friends at uh, uh, Wichita's Gretemann Group. It's a branding agency. We'll have the link in the show notes called PlaneOnTheBrain.com. And it's a trivia game that is all aviation. Really, and I've had and I've had more fun with this since I learned about it last week from uh, one of the principals of the Gretemann Group, uh, my old friend uh, Deanna Harms, and her Sonia Gretemann is the name behind the company. Two really sharp ladies uh, that started this agency, and they do a lot of their work in aviation. They're doing a history timeline that's going to go into the new Wichita Airport terminal when it opens hmm. in another year or so. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so the plane on the brain trivia test, uh, 
The link's that simple, plainonthebrain.com. Check it out. Have some fun. Take it again. See how you score. Yeah. Uh, and, and where can people find you on the internet? That was a sneaky way of putting a shout-out in there when I didn't do shout-outs. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, um, where can people find you on the internet, David? Oh, avbuyer.com for world aircraft sales, aea.net for avionics news. Uh, and if you're a, a, a recipient of Business Aviation Insider, I couldn't tell you which ones I wrote, but chances are something that you're looking at, something I wrote. Yeah. And on the Twitter, you're a Real Higdon. Real Higdon. That's right. Go. Yeah. Nobody else would want to do this. So. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Not a darn thing. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> um, I say that I uh, recently finished up a couple of projects for uh, – uh, uh, Aircraft Electronics Association's Avionics News. I have no clue whatsoever when they'll be published, uh, or for that matter, whether they'll be published. Um, uh, gearing up for the uh, February issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Um, and that's pretty much it. Looking forward to spending some quality time uh, here over the next few days and, and getting uh, into the new year. And uh, hopefully some of these uh, these predictions uh, on which we stuck out all our necks will be coming to pass. <laughs> uh, um, I can be found on the Twitter machine at Burnside J. I am on uh, Facebook. Um, I'm not even going to mention the personal website. <laughs> and, and before we move on, April 1 through 6 is sun and fun. So we'll all be there in late March, but it doesn't start till April Fool's Day. Oops, okay. Uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm, I'm sorry, Jeb, were you finished? More, more yes. Okay. Most definitely. All right. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, check out my uh, Kindle eBooks at uh, Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, please uh, visit my personal blog for lots of miscellaneous stuff. That's andc.blogspot.com. Um, and you can also sign up for my email newsletter. Uh, there's a link to the subscription form and a lot of other info about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. And uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, Jack Hodgson at Twitter, uh, Jack Hodgson slash... Uh, Twitter slash Jack Hodgson. A big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with our show notes and in the forums uh, when the forums eventually come back. It's a sad, <laughs> sad story. I, I shouldn't laugh. It's really bad. I, uh, it's bad. Uh, don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can uh, uh, follow your uh, fellow listeners. You can uh, uh, see who's doing what at the new ra ratings webpage of fame. With, with, without being accused of stalking. <laughs> That's right. All that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? Save me here. Hey, the oldest pilot in the world is Sant Nick, which is proof positive that time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Happy holidays, happy twenty fourteen. Bye bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Yeah, let me let me just simply add that uh, I hope our listeners um, have as good uh, twenty fourteen as we have had twenty thirteen doing this podcast. And and with that, I only have one final thing to say, Jack. How much longer are you going to be billing yourself as a new media producer? Don't you think you should be maybe thinking about a, a middle-aged media producer or, or, a, or a senior media producer? Ta-ta for now. <laughs> <laughs>